All right, we're here today with Kevin Wilk, a very seasoned physical therapist who's been in the sports medicine realm uh, for quite uh, a few years. And uh, anyway, I'm sorry I just aged you, Kevin, but uh, you're you're just one of the, one of my heroes in rehab, and appreciate your creativity. So today on the Youth Sports Safety Update, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what do you think are some good principles uh, to follow when you're preparing a rehab program for any individual and any injury. Well, Jim, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. So uh, I'm honored to be part of your program. Thanks so much for asking me. You know, I think the principles are, you know, first, we don't want to create uh, any more harm to the injury or after the surgery, uh, protect the healing tissues, but also promote healing and don't have any negative effects from uh, immobilization or restrictive motion. One of the problems we have many times when people get hurt, whether they're young people or even middle-aged people is, you know, they kind of splint that area and they can get tight. They can lose motion. And when you lose motion, it just compounds the duration of the rehabilitation thereafter. The other aspect is we don't want to prevent or or produce any ill effects, meaning you have an injury, you lose muscle strength, you lose the ability to stabilize the joint. So hopefully by starting rehab early, we're able to prevent some of those things called atrophy and disuse atrophy and losing proprioceptive abilities where your joint is in space. So we're trying to prevent further damage almost from occurring, but also at the same time start some things that are safe and uh, prevent some of these disuse problems. Exactly. Well, when you're designing a rehab program for any athlete um, or patient, uh, what are kind of your thought processes that that go into it and um, what what information do you find valuable on the upfront beginner? begin a rehab session. Yeah, uh, myself being a physical therapist in a uh, outpatient setting, uh, we need a prescription from the physician. So it's always great to have a team approach where that physician is approachable, where we can ask what's going on exactly. You know, all ankle sprains are not alike. There's degrees of ankle sprains. There, there may be joint damage, uh, bone bruise, maybe even with chronic situations where there's actually articular cartilage damage. So a simple, sometimes ankle sprain can be very, very complex and why the person mm-hmm. keeps, keeps having the problem problem or or a knee injury. So we'd like to get the physician's perspective because they saw maybe an MRI, an x-ray. We want to know if there's other things going on. So those are good things to know on the other end of the the discipline, so to speak, the physician giving us info. Uh, Obviously, we need patient information, their history. You know, how many times has this happened? How, How did it happen? What do you think your problems are related to this from a functional limitation standpoint. And um, for us, looking at other factors for us is healing constraints. How long does it take for this tissue to heal? How long do we have to protect it? What can we do to facilitate healing? With athletes, they all want to get back fat. Whether you're eight years old and you're a gymnast or or a softball player or a football player or you're playing for college team, you want to get back fast. So uh, I had an eight-year-old in the other day and had ankle problems. And that was the the first thing she asked me was, "Can can I go to practice tomorrow? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, it was my granddaughter. And the parents <laughs> asked the same question. <laughs> when are right. they going to be in the NFL? <laughs> That's right. And, um, you know, so all these all these individuals, you know, athletes are motivated people and uh, they want to get well. So we have to find ways of facilitating and expedite the recovery. But we also have to temper it with good caution.
Exactly. And uh, healing constraint times. Exactly. And motivation is a big issue. You you wonder, even with a highly motivated athlete, they face motivation issues at times because this may be the first time they've ever been injured uh, at that young eight-year-old or that 14-year-old, the first time they've ever faced an injury. Uh, parents think of everything that ha- happens, can happen, and may happen in that. But, you know, the rehab process come, sometimes can be a short-term or it can be a long-term. But how do you, uh, how do you keep that? athlete keep that patient motivated throughout the process what are some things that you try and do yeah i mean that's probably the biggest change in in my career as far as how to keep people motivated i think you look at it in blocks of time so you you establish realistic goals for the next week and they achieve that goal and athletes are very goal oriented people uh you know they want to win they want to be better they want to be faster they want to throw harder all those types of things so you give them goals and hopefully achievable goals both in a particular treatment or in a block of time uh the other thing to keep them motivated is constantly changing the program Uh, it'd be pretty unusual for a person even was coming in on a daily basis like a pro athlete or a high-level collegiate athlete for me to do the same rehab two days in a row. They may have components of it, but I'm always tweaking it. And my patients have learned because some of them are return patients, unfortunately, with other problems. Uh, they'll say to me, you know, what do you have new for me today? And, you know, sometimes it gets to be, you know, a challenge for me. But what's nice about that challenge, it keeps me stimulated. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me thinking about, okay, how can I make one drill a little bit different? And how can I make that one drill or exercise a little bit more complex? And how can I make that one drill more challenging that when they achieve it, they know they've reached another bar, uh, you know, in the progression? Because the rehab is a progression. Um, and we have to teach that to our, our patients. Be patient. It's a progression. It's not an event. It's not a singular event. And to your point, Jim, um, you know, somebody tears their ACL, the first thing they, they think about is, okay, I'm out. How long am I out for? Is it six months? Is it nine months? It's hard to keep them motivated to do exercise for nine months. You, you know, many times you feel like you almost run out of things to do while you're still protecting it from going back to a high-risk sport like soccer for a high school kid or volleyball, basketball. And they see, they may see the protocol sometimes, and it says at four to six months, I'm supposed to be here, and I'm here, or I'm not there or I'm beyond that. So why can't I do this, that Mm -hmm. or the other? Uh, Let's talk to the athletic trainer for just a minute or the therapist that we can get a little lazy at times and we can try and do it on the fly as opposed to uh, maybe I'm getting on a soapbox here, but being prepared in advance, not, okay, go get on the bike and I'll figure out what I want to do with you today. It's being prepared for that individual, treating treating the individual as well as the injury and being prepared for that therapy session before you go in, knowing you might have to make some adjustments, but prior preparation makes a better outcome than just, okay, let's go do this today. Exactly. I'm, I'm a systems guy, uh, so I believe in systems. I, I believe in programs. I've kind of learned this from coaches, uh, successful coaches in college and professional. When they go out in that field, they have a they have a program, mm-hmm. and that's their system. And their system is on this day, this is what we're going to achieve. And we've written up programs. We have protocols. And fortunately, I've spent half of my career, probably eighty percent of my career. What am I saying? Half eighty percent of my career working with Dr. Uh, James Andrews, who probably a lot of people know. And he was a, a big advocate of writing protocols ahead of time. So we have protocols on everything. Protocols sometimes have a bad name, but protocols are just a template. It's like a recipe when you're cooking. I don't 
I don't cook exactly from the recipe. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly tweaking it based on my taste and how I think the person is going. So we use those. Even in the protocol itself, I have programs for ACLs. So we have different phases. So my trainers that work with me and my, my student knows that if you're at four weeks, you're probably on phase two. Here's the exercise on the strength day. Here's the exercise we'll do on their agility days. But we're constantly tweaking. It's just a template based on how they present that particular day. And if I gave one piece of advice to a young therapist or athletic trainer is get some programs down, plan your day beforehand. And having those programs down can really, really help you on a busy day. Be well-organized. And you know what? Patients really appreciate having a program instead of asking, hey, what's next? What's next? Right. Excellent advice there. And um, we talk about protocols. They're not cookbooks. Uh, any good chef uses variety and is prepared to do something a little bit different. And that, in as I said earlier, we got to remember to treat the individual and not just the injury and that. So um, sometimes, and I complimented you on your creativity, but sometimes people see maybe creativity or Oh, I want to go do that advanced exercise when they're not, they're not ready to do that. And we learned of an incident the other day where there was not good physician, therapist, or athletic trainer, patient communication. And so they weren't supposed to do, be doing something, but they were off doing some types of hops and jumps. And then they actually re-injured, retore their patella tendon or whatever it was and had to have a little number of repair again. So what are your cautions on that? Because we, we see we want the latest, the, the oh, that's really cool looking but it might not be appropriate. Yeah, uh, foundation is the key. Um, so for me, it's stepping stones. It's a progression. The cool exercises, the stuff you know you might see on uh, social media is great. You had to get to that point. And the way you get to that point is those building blocks. You know, I, I use the analogy like when I'm rehabbing a thrower, uh, a pitcher. It could be a major league baseball pitcher. They don't come in and start with plyometrics. They don't do weighted ball throwing. Uh, they don't do real high-level things. We do range of motion. We do uh, rhythmic stabilization with manual resistance, and we try to activate their neuromuscular system. Uh, if I had a female or a male soccer player, for instance, and we see a lot of, uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of high school female soccer players who tear their ACLs, right? They're the highest incidence. And one of the things that we do with those young ladies are we do activation exercises to turn on the neuromuscular system before they even start their rehab, especially if it's a little bit more advanced. And there's been some interesting studies out there that have shown that actually doing that neuro prep actually diminishes injuries in practice in a game situation. So dynamic warm-ups are great, but I'm actually talking about neuromuscular exercise. All right, one last question, since we are about sports safety, uh, what uh, comments, advice do you have for uh, youth parents, coaches, and to keep safe in the game as well as maybe through the rehab process? Yeah, there's probably a lot to be said on that, unfortunately, but I'll try to be brief. One is don't overdo it. Doing too much of something, trying to really, really ex excel uh, is really a problem. Uh, second is rest, recovery. That's one, one thing that we've learned the hard way is if we're not recovering properly, uh, people are more likely to get, get injured. Too much too soon. You know, you ramp up too fast. So in baseball, we talk about pitch counts or throws. Uh, in football now, workloads, right? 
Um, there's GPS systems out, you know, the higher level programs are monitoring the number of steps, uh, how long your practices are, how much mileage you're doing and so forth. And, you know, if you can get specific on a couple of things like baseball, baseball now has turned into a year round sport. Even if you live in North Dakota, it's year round because there's indoor facilities where you can throw and train. My biggest advice to that, and I would follow suit with, with others, uh, you know, my mentor, Dr. Andrews, is play another sport. Be a good athlete. Uh, you can be a fantastic baseball player, but you can certainly be a very good uh, soccer player or basketball player, and you'll be a better pitcher as a result. I use examples of some of the best Hall of Fame pitchers I've ever dealt with. John Smoltz, he was an excellent basketball player, almost went to college on a basketball scholarship. Tom Glavin, he was an excellent hockey player. Um, others, you know, they're just Bo Jackson playing multiple sports. These are individuals that are very, very good athletes, but they rest the body part that their primary sport is. So like with Smoltzy, he's a pitcher, and he knew he wanted to play professional baseball, but by playing basketball, it rested his throwing arm. So he got a few months off <laughs> when he was in high school. Pretty good golfers, too, I understand. Yeah, really good golfer. Yeah, you don't want to play golf for money with him. He's pretty much a scratch golfer and a, and a super competitive guy. And a guy who, you know, has bought into the conditioning, has bought into nutrition and rest his entire career. He was a guy that asked a million questions. Hyperbaric chamber, should I get one? Should I get a laser? What can I do to help recovery? And, and you know, for young people, I think that's a good thing to learn is to take care of yourself because that's what's going to help you improve as an athlete, but also prevent injury and give you longevity. Right. And it doesn't always take all the big high-tech things, but it just takes some of the basics of nutrition, rest, sleep, recovery, uh, massage, uh, just other things that uh, don't involve a lot of finances, but are very practical things that kids can do. Get in the pool, move, do alternative exercises and things like that. So That's a great point, Jim. Years ago, you know, when I was actually covering games, you know, this would be... <laughs> About 38 years ago, we had a really good football coach in Chicago. They won state championships almost every year. And one of the things they, Friday night games, what they did on Saturday, all the players came in and they went in the pool. And at the time, I thought, what the heck are they doing in the pool? These guys are football players. And he had them float around and do things, and it was just recovery. Right. And it worked fantastically. We had very few injuries, and these kids were very rarely sore by Monday from a high-level football game. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. It's been very enlightening, and uh, we appreciate Kevin Wilk being with us today on the Youth Sports Safety Update. So thank you again, Kevin. Thank you, Jim. For more information on Kevin Wilk, go to jaxsmp.com, and we'll have information on our show notes. Thank you again for joining us on the Youth Sports Safety Update.